There's a story that resurfaced again recently of a guy who in 1998, a man, an Iranian guy by the name of Moran Karimi Naziri. Sorry, guys, if I've just butchered that name. Um, arrived at Charles de Gaulle. I can't even say the airport, Nigel. How do you pronounce it? Where's he gone? Charles de Gaulle. Yep. See? Oh. Um, in Paris, where he then went on to live for the next 18 years of his life in one of the terminals. True story. He was the real character behind Steven Spielberg's hit film, The Terminal, where Tom Hanks played the character Victor. Um, different, different set of circumstances, but likewise caused him to, this character that Tom Hanks played to, end up living in an airport lounge for many years. But this, this Iranian man, Moran, is believed to have been born in 1945. And he became stuck in this legal limbo in France, in this airport in Paris, after apparently lacking the correct legal papers to allow him entry. He traveled around, the story goes that he traveled around numerous countries in Europe trying to enter. He was um, trying to find his mother. And when he was in France, he, he had his legal papers stolen from him, apparently on a train, uh, train station. And so he ended up in no man's land because of this paperwork. And if you've watched, who's watched the film The Terminal? Just out of interest. Oh, it's a great movie. Um, I think, I can't remember, it was a long time ago. I enjoyed it, I think. Um, and in the movie, The Terminal, it's this part of the story's the Hollywood version, but he forms this small corner of the airport in the, in the movie version, and he transforms a part of this airport, and he falls in love with an air hostess, and you know his life, of course, works out absolutely fine. Whereas in the, for the real Moran, his story was somewhat different, and he had a bench, a small area of this airport that was home, where every day travelers would walk past him without even noticing him. And he survived on the goodwill of staff that worked at the airports who, who over time learned who he was and what his situation was. He survived on handouts. And he lived in this airport lounge for 18 years until 2006 when he was, for some reason, hospitalized and then didn't go back. Until middle of last year when he returned to the airport for some unknown reason where he then died in November of a heart attack in Terminal 2F. This guy lived in no man's land. He was stuck. He seemingly had no purpose in life. It affected his mental health quite severely. He was fearful of the outside world. He was fearful of the uh, intentions of the French authorities. And he just lived in this limbo land him because of legal papers. And as I heard about this, this guy's story again in November as, as he made news once again because of his death this time, it's just stuck with me a bit, his story. And, and 
And in some ways, I feel like for many of us right now, off the back of a few years of uncertainty, loss, pain, fear, isolation, many of us have ended up in a kind of no man's land in faith. We're sort of stuck. We, we don't want to go back, sure. We don't want to go back to life without walking with Jesus. But many of us, I, I think it's fair to say this, have stopped growing and walking in God intentionally, purposefully. Many of us are struggling to grow in God, to find traction in faith. And it's probably not surprising because we have been through a large trauma in this nation, in the cross of the globe. We've been through a season of trauma. We've been through a season where we've been anxious about can we get toilet paper, no less. Which kind of seems slightly ridiculous right now, doesn't it? When you think, can I even get to see the doctors? If I phone up for an ambulance because I have chest pain and am I going into a heart attack, will, will an ambulance even come to the rescue? We have lived in this nation with comfort for so long. And we've relied on that. And it's not wrong. The, the good things, the institutions, the, the services that help life to flow well for us, the NHS, our government, local services, education, the industrial sector and the technological sector, and all of these things have suddenly been disrupted. And what I think has been the result of that, as you read around and as you look around, and actually as you just live and feel it in yourself, is just this growing anxiety that's playing out in many areas of life for many of us. And for us in the church who are followers of King Jesus, I wonder if what's happened is in this season that what has been shown up is actually, for some of us, we've just recognized maybe, and I don't want to put words into your mouth, but if this is true, I'd love to pray for you in a bit. We've just recognized that we've kind of ended up in our walk with Jesus playing church. And so as the pressure comes on, as challenges come, as uncertainty comes, suddenly we find ourselves out of step. We find ourselves disconnected, isolated, frightened, fragmented as a community, as individuals. An Australian church leader and writer, who, a guy called Mark Sayers, who kind of is really into looking at sociological trends and that kind of stuff. He, he talks about this moment we're in as a gray zone. He talks about it as being the ending of one era and the beginning of another, but it doesn't just have this start-stop moment. There's an overlap, and he says these moments become heightened. They become incredibly intense. So you suddenly see governments, democracies, that we have kind of just assumed would work. Suddenly, peaceful transfers of power are called into question. And it's quite frightening. You think we have a general election in 18 months' time. Maybe the institute of our government that we've just kind of assumed is 
there and sure, we might not always like it. It might not always get everything right, but we've kind of just assumed it works. And suddenly you look across to the Americas and you see maybe it's actually not as safe as we think it is for us. And Mark Sayers talks about how these gray zone moments are incredibly complex, incredibly confusing, and that in this moment, some of us are longing for life as it was before, and some of us are already in our minds living in this new era, and you see it at work in in the world around us, that there is a clash of ideologies. The culture around us is increasingly characterized by fragmentation, fear, and frustration. And the pandemic accelerated these things, didn't it, as we, as we saw through those months and over those couple of years, that people are increasingly disconnected from one another. That there are shortages of all kinds. Inflation, lack of peaceful government transitions, as I say, fake news. People are increasingly ideologically driven And I think it is just worth pointing out that we are in very anxious times in the world that we live in. As the the safety net that we've relied on, mortgage prices going up, gas prices going up, all of these things, and suddenly, how how are we going to cope financially? And this is a story that's being played in the world apart from Jesus Christ. The good news is that this, that for you and I who are followers of Jesus that he has said, you do not need to worry about all of those things. Your heavenly father knows exactly what you need. So you are free from worry of those things. And yet my gut feel is many of us are incredibly worried about them, nevertheless. I imagine that for many of us, it shapes a lot of our thinking. Not only that, but increasingly we're seeing that in the West, we are living in a post-Christian era. Christianity has been pushed to the margins. Its shaping of language and faith in the public square is increasingly being squeezed out. People are so much less familiar with the Bible, whether they're followers of Jesus or not. We, we live in this post-truth age, In fact, a post-secular age in some ways, but people are still incredibly spiritual and open to spiritual things. Whether followers of Jesus, whether following uh, a faith, whatever that faith may be or not, by and large in society, there is a, especially among younger people, an incredible openness to spiritual things. Truth has just been called into question, hasn't it, over more so than ever, especially around fake news and propaganda And what's my truth versus a collective truth and truths can compete. We are living in incredibly strange, unprecedented, odd days. And the church finds itself in this place right now. And I wonder that where we are as we look around is that among, not everybody, please don't feel I'm beating you up with this this morning, but... There is a large apathy among God's people in this moment because, in part, it's a confusing time. It's a challenging time. That some of these challenges for us fuel anxiety. 
And rather than necessarily charge into the battle, we find ourselves just taking one step back. Our old Christian framework, you know, the, the Christendom model of there's churches in every town and village and they have tall spires that actually shaped a lot of our thinking. Well, well people will turn up to weddings and funerals and maybe at Christmas and Easter and we'll get to preach the gospel then. Actually, that way of thinking about church has stopped working. People see less relevant need to come to church. People who aren't followers of Jesus. Many Christians are confused about faith. One of the things that we're increasingly recognizing, and actually this is not us, this is right across the church, is that as churches, we have neglected the idea of whole life discipleship. Training us, one another, helping one another, seeing part of our purpose of being to help us become like Jesus. To learn to walk with him. That actually being a follower of Jesus really isn't just for Sunday or Wednesday evening. But it's a call to follow him in, intensely. Purposefully. And the pandemic again has shown that part of our discipleship framework has actually lacked in this area. And we've got some work to do there. But it's not all bad news. Please don't hear that. The pandemic has given us space, hasn't it, to observe ourselves, our own lives, and really call into question, what's the substance of my faith? What's the quality of my walking with Jesus really like? It's given us time to reflect on positives, on exciting things, on significant moments, it's given us time to just slow down and rest. It's given us time to reflect on painful moments and painful parts of our lives. And I, I imagine that many of us have done that personally, but so too I think it's true to say that as a church community, we've kind of done that. We've done that as leaders, particularly. We've taken time to say, where are we? And we've wanted to ask some hard questions of how are we really doing as a church? And boy, has it been a tough season. I'm not trying to kid anybody with that. It's been a season of pruning. It's been a season where we've been disconnected from one another. Where there's been lots of just fluctuating among us. It's been a season where we've recognized that, boy, is it easy just to come along and attend church and be a consumer of church rather than come as God's people, not just on a Sunday, but every day, encountering the person of God, walking with him, coming together, encouraging one another in our faith. And so I just, over this time, I've, I've tried to find some questions that help me kind of ask, answer and ask God, what is it you're doing? And one of them is this. What is the Spirit stirring and doing in this moment? You see, God's purpose on earth is to fill the earth with his glory, with his image, to fill it up. Say, look, the whole earth 
is the Lord's and it reflects his glory. And he does that through you and I, men and women made in his image. And that was God's intention, God's plan. But as we know, back in Genesis, Adam failed to do that as he decided, no, he wanted to make much of his own image and chose not to follow Jesus. And ever since then, God has been on a rescue plan. This is the story of the Bible, that God has been on a rescue mission to reconcile broken and lost things of God back to himself. People, creation, relationship with God, relationship with one another. And that question of God, what are you doing at this moment? What is it you're doing is a question that is so important to ask because that's the answer to what kind of church do we want to be moving forward? God, whatever it is that you're doing, that's the space we want to inhabit. That's where we want to shape ourselves and give ourselves to. But boy, is it difficult to answer that question because we're in confusing times. Irrespective, God, of whatever's going on around us, God, we want to give ourselves to you. And then even more difficult is what does that mean for you and I personally? What does that mean for us as a church family together? How do we help ourselves live Jesus-filled, spirit-filled lives? Patterns of living that help us grow in God and follow him and live out this mission. And as I've just been trying to work out, God, not work out, but just think about these things and pray into them and ask God, one of the verses that, that God keeps bringing back to me and I keep hearing it often and it's just lived with me is Isaiah 43. And I know this isn't about pre-2020, pre-pandemic, and then post-2022 as the pandemic drew to the end. But as I read this scripture, it kind of puts hope on the horizon once again. And Isaiah was prophesying this. He said, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. That wasteland in some ways is much like that gray zone that Mark Sayers talks about, or it's much like the guy who's spent 18 years in the airport lounge, wilderness, wasteland, hard places. Places where it's difficult to exist and bear fruit. And then we read in the New Testament that the atmosphere in the New Testament was one of mission empowered by God's Holy Spirit. The proclamation of the good news about Jesus Christ. You can have sin forgiven, relationship with God, receive eternal life because of what Christ has done and accomplished on the cross through his death and burial and resurrection and ascension to the Father. And we read that and our hearts are like, yes, God do that. And, and we fail to sometimes remember that, boy, the church in the early days, they had it tough too. That the church in Antioch was born out of the scattering of believers in persecution. And the whole thrust of the, the New Testament, the story of the church is, is one of spirit 
filled, empowered followers of Jesus who, who made that decision to say, I'm going to follow Jesus with my life. I want my life to be shaped by him rather than by the securities and the hopes of the world. I want to, be, I want to follow Jesus carefully. I want him to teach me how to live as God has called me to. And so I think we're at a moment where, for many of us, whether you've been part of Gateway for a long time, following Jesus for a long time, whether you're new to Gateway or new to faith or on the edges of faith or just questioning faith, I think this is a moment once again where we get to reset our walk with Jesus. And that Jesus is saying to us, it's time to be all in. It's no longer good enough to be half-hearted, lukewarm, church-attending, playing a game. But relying on the comforts of the world, the securities of the world. I really believe in this moment that Jesus is saying, I want a people who are all in, wholly devoted to following me. And I feel like that's the call I want to make to us this morning We'll unpack it. What does that look like for us as a church family more next week? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, if there is no future, sorry, that there is no future for the Christian church unless it involves the Lord reviving the church. There's no future for the church. Yes, there is in God's grand purpose. Yes, there is. We know there is. But he's saying, In moments like this, there's no future for the church unless it involves the Lord reviving it. And so that's where I think we are. I think we're at a point where God wants to revive the church. And that doesn't mean the institution, the structure. If I may be so bold as to say, I wonder that many of us treat our relationship with the church a bit like we do the NHS. I have this ailment. Um, Can I speak to the doctor, please? Oh, actually, I need an ambulance. Pretty quick. Few, they make me better. Oh, I have this challenge that one day I'm going to die. Can I speak to God, please? Um, Yeah, one day I'll be with you. You cover that bit, but I've got my life, God. I think that many of us have a kind of a, a... an odd relationship with God's family, the church. That we're kind of half in. We're not committed to one another. We don't give ourselves to one another to encourage one another to grow in Jesus. We, we kind of attend at times. Boy, do we need to be renewed, to, to see renewal among us as God's people. Because God has a mission to make all things new. And he does that through inviting you and I as image bearers of Jesus, to be apprentices of Jesus, learning his way, his patterns of life, his rhythms of life, so that we become like Jesus and can minister into a world that is full of worry and anxiety and hurt. And as we, this is why I think this question of discipleship is so important for us, that as we learn those rhythms and patterns of life of discipleship, That is how renewal comes into the world because it happens through people who are like Jesus, who live like he lived. And 
And so, church, we're in days of just very odd days of unprecedented opportunity. We really are. There should be a prophetic urgency about God's purposes on earth among his people. We're at a moment where we get to choose to say, we're going to ditch some of the program thinking that we've done before, or just some of the plain church. I'll, I'll rock up on a Sunday every now and again. I'll, I'll commit to a small group half-heartedly. And we need to, we're at a moment where we get to say, no, I'm, I'm choosing to be a whole life disciple of Jesus Christ. We want to be a church that has the joy of, of being a flourishing, multi-generational church. All right, Jamie. Yours. Um, three seconds. <laughs> we need to be a church that is so confident in God's story of renewal that it's lived out in every home, in every street, in every school, in every workplace where God's people are. A story of bringing freedom and healing and reconciliation and restoration in life. That we're a church that longs to see our society renewed. Cultural, ethical, social, spiritual renewal because of the way we live our lives as citizens of God's kingdom. A church that's confident to live without compromise and without fear, even when that looks very out of step with the culture around us. But the challenge for us is, I, I really think this, that comfort and fear will stop us from being bold and courageous in this moment. So I love this morning. I love that it was disrupted. I love that we said, look, we're going to just, Kaz, brilliant, well done, that we just go, we're going to pray right now. We're the people of God. We don't just come to sing some songs. We come to build one another up in our faith. We come to encourage and provoke and equip one another in life and faith. But fear and anxiety could hold us back from pressing into all Jesus wants to do. So Christian, let me tell you this. The walk of the Christian life is not to try and smooth out all the ups and downs. It's not so that life gets better and better and better here on earth at this moment. The goal of the Christian life is to walk with Jesus, to have union with God, to know him in the midst of those moments, to be somebody who brings peace and hope and comfort and result and light to those who don't know him to say, you are loved, you have value and worth. God wants to, you to know his love in your life. He wants, to know the, he wants you to know the power of his kingdom and his king in your life. Jesus is inviting us in these days. As he's cut through the noise of a lot of our, our thinking around church to walk with him. To live lives where we're ever increasingly aware of Jesus. It's interesting that when Jesus, before he had done any miracles, right at the start of his ministry, he stands up 
The scroll in the synagogue, the scroll's handed to him. It's his turn to read. And he, I don't know, I don't know if you open or unroll the scroll, I guess. Um, he unrolls the scroll to Isaiah 61. And he says these words, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of our Lord's favor. Even before Jesus, right at the start of his ministry, he says, this has happened. This is what I'm here to do. Church, that is God's purpose for his people also. That is a purpose for God's people. He's anointed you with his spirit to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Why? Because God has designed every single person in this room, you and I, to be co-laborers with Christ, to partner with him in his story so that his eternal purposes will be accomplished on earth. Thanks, Catherine. You're designed to be a co-laborer with Christ. And Jesus, the Son of God, he kick-started what that looks like for us. You see, as he took on flesh, fully God takes on flesh, fully man, God. He modeled to us what that looks like to walk with God, seeing his kingdom come. He did that himself. He, he, he laid aside his glory. He took on the limitations of humanity. He could have done whatever he wanted to do, but he chose to set an example for us of what life with God looks like. Something that we'd say, I, as a follower of Jesus, want to now pattern my life and my expectations of his kingdom in my life. And Jesus said that of himself, he can do nothing himself, but only what he sees the, sees the father doing, only what he hears the father saying. And so, to anyone who has been forgiven their sin through Jesus and empowered by his spirit, that is his church, his people, his called out ones, the word church, ecclesia in the Greek means called out ones, those who are called out from the world to live with Jesus, to be co-laborers with Christ, to work with him for his kingdom purpose. Jesus has modeled to us what life with God looks like. He invites us into that journey. And so before we just start saying, right, here's what it looks like for us as a church. This is what we're going to do next. We're going to take this hilltop. We're going to try and do that. We're going to set these big goals in front of us. The right response in this moment is to recognize where we are and follow Jesus' example. You, you know, Jesus, he spent so much time with the Father, didn't he? He spent time with the Father. He knew exactly what the Father was about. And for us, Jesus invites us to abide in him, to spend time 
in his presence. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Boy, do I and I hope you long to see more fruit in these days. In my own life. In my own walk with Jesus. In one another's lives for us as a church family. Stories of transformation and growing in Jesus. People saying this this struggle just had a grip on my life and I didn't know what to do with it. This bit of my past, before I walked with Jesus, it's just, I've been racked with guilt and I, I know I'm set free, but I've just, it's just, I've just carried the guilt all this time and the shame of my life and decisions I made, or even as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, I'm just racked with shame. No, Jesus wants us to walk in freedom. That's why we're going to spend nine weeks and a couple of weeks' time um, on these brilliant posters that Callum's done, looking at the bit of the iceberg that's under the water. That's what we're focusing on. Because we're to be people who are walking with Jesus, growing in him, abiding with him. And I think right now at the start, we're at a moment where it's as simple as this. Church, we have a choice. Each one of us, do you want to abide with Jesus? Do you want to walk with him? Do you want to be a co-laborer with him? Because if we do, then we've got to look much, much more like Jesus in the days ahead. We've got to look like Jesus. We've got to copy him. We've got to do what he did. We've got to train one another. We've got to have more mornings where we're saying, come on, let's get up out of our seats and go and pray for one another and let's encourage one another and be filled with the spirit of God. We've got to be sharp and diligent and intentional about following Jesus in these days. See, we've been left here on planet Earth. Jesus said, I'm going, but I'm sending you the promised gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit, who will lead you into truth, who will empower you to live out this mission. We've been left here because this world is full of brokenness and hurt and pain and orphans and widows who don't know the love of the Father. And Jesus has said, that's you, church. That's what I'm charging you with, is to go and live life in such a way that people see that you love one another and you follow me and that they know you're my people. And I feel like we have to set in our heart a fresh passion to say, Jesus, I want to abide with you. I want to be in your presence. I can't carry on with just the busyness of life. I can't carry on coping and and just playing at church. And it's why the Apostle Paul said this. He said, I get on my knees and I ask that God the Father, according to the riches of his glory, that he would strengthen the saints. That he would strengthen you. Inside, outwards through his spirit, this new power in your inner being, that you may dwell, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may abide with him in faith and that you may be rooted 
and grounded in love. Can I invite you to stand if right now, just this morning, you say, do you know, I, I need to choose to abide in Jesus. This is not a shame moment. This is not a moment of embarrassment. This is a decision to say, man, have I been full of anxiety, stress, frustration, fear, I'm just kind of living for the next paycheck. I'm just living for the next holiday. I'm just living for retirement right now. I'm just living with non-kingdom thinking that frames the shape of my life. Jesus is inviting us, church, to say it's time to let the author of life reshape our life as his people. Again, say, Jesus, I want to give myself to you and your kingdom purposes in this generation, as tough as it is, but I want to start by again choosing to follow you. And maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to say, this morning could be the morning that changes the rest of your life. Anybody here who's made that decision to follow Jesus knows that in an instant, Jesus transforms life. Our job then is to follow him faithfully. I want to pray over you the words of Paul in just a moment. I want to put a challenge out to those who have been playing church. And I don't mean that with an aggressive edge. Just as I was thinking about this, I just felt that phrase would resonate with some people in this room in their heart. To say, I've just been, I've just been playing church. It's just gone right down the pecking order of importance. I just, I just sometimes go when I sometimes feel like it. I want to pray if that's you and invite you to stand. No shame. We've got to get over shame. We've been set free from the power of shame, church. We're free to confess sin to one another, confess weakness, to say to brothers and sisters, can you help me in my weakness? Many of us, we treat the church of Jesus Christ, his family expressed in these local expressions just like this. We treat it as part of that transactional deal. Well, yeah, Jesus, you've got my future, my eternal future, so I guess I better go to church. No, the church is one of the primary ways that God teaches us to recognize his presence in our life. It's one of the primary ways we learn to abide in him. It's where we learn to interact with his spirit and learn to pray and and seek his presence, hear his voice, obey his word, honor him, to celebrate him. It's where we get reminded week by week to look to him rather than the fears and anxieties that rack us in this present age. Boy, do we have need of one another, not just turning up, but turning up as holy present people, holy given to God, saying I'm here for him and for one another's good. And yes, sometimes... I walk with Jesus in the week because of sin or just brokenness of life or challenge. It kind of gets, the wind gets knocked out of us. But don't worry, Sunday's coming again. That's why we need to gather week by week. And as we're encouraged in the Bible, not to give up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We need one another to walk faithfully with Jesus. So can I invite you, if you're standing, even if you're not, and you just want to receive right now, let's just lift our hands to the Father.
Let's just open ourselves to God. A number of years back, a friend of the church, Julian Adams, who uh, a prophetic guy who was prophesying, he was talking about mums and dads in a middle-aged rut. God bringing freedom, reigniting faith. If that's you, I want to pray for you right now. He talked about a move of the power of God, the spirit of God among our young people that provoked that, that our young people would run with Jesus. And we're beginning to just see that happen in small ways and in encouraging, exciting ways. And we want to do everything we can as a church family to say, come on, young people. Come on, they're, they're so hungry for authenticity and faith, not just church attendance. They are setting the example for us in this church. Those of us who are a bit older, they, they want authentic relationship with God. They don't want to play church. They want to walk with him. And, and we, we want to cry out for our young people and say, God, do a mighty move of your spirit where our young people's hearts are broken for you in this generation. It wouldn't be about this ideology or that way of being in college or school or the workplace. It would be about, I am a follower of Jesus and whatever he says goes in my life. But church, I take the words of the Apostle Paul right now when he said this and he said, I get on my knees. And just pray this for those who are living with anxiety and fear and hurt and distress right now. Maybe you want to kneel, not, as a, not just as a, as a looking good, but you just want to humble yourself before God right now. And he said this, I get on my knees. He said, Father, according to your riches and to your glory, I cry out to you for my brothers and sisters who are having to navigate the challenges of life right now. Who face the same fears and anxiety and challenges that everybody else has to face. And I pray that you would strengthen your people, oh God. Strengthen them from the inside out through your spirit. Your power at work in them, oh God. And I pray this so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. And church, this morning I pray for us, Gateway. I pray for you, believer, follower of Jesus. I pray may the Spirit of God fall afresh on you this morning in your following of him. Church isn't something you go to and do. It's who you are. You are the called out ones called to live life with God. And I pray even right now that the Spirit of God would kickstart a fresh passion in you for the things of God in your life. No more mediocre, lukewarm following of Jesus from this point on. And I pray that the Spirit would fuel decisions right across this room to say, right, from today, I am following Him afresh. I'm making a decision to say, I am God's child. I am a brother, a sister, a younger brother, a sister of Jesus Christ. He's my older brother, and I'm going to choose to set my example from him, to encourage those around me to do the same. And we pray, Jesus, break the power of anxiety in this room. Lord, cause our eyes to fall off the fears of the world and the challenges of the world and to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith in this very present moment of challenge. We say, now, Jesus, ignite passion in your church. 
Mobilize us as your people to live out your mission, King Jesus. We pray this in your mighty name. Just as we, as we head forward over these coming weeks, I want to ask just to begin daily, invite Jesus into your world. Just, Jesus, I want to walk with you tomorrow. I want to walk with you today. I want to be shaped by you. I really believe, church, we're in a season of renewal. And it's time for us to be so serious about our faith with Jesus. So come, Holy Spirit. Thank you that in our weakness, you're our strength. And we cannot do this unless you lead us and shape us by your Spirit, O oh God. So we invite you, Holy Spirit, breathe on us today as we go from this place. Set hearts of flame for you again in this moment, King Jesus. Amen. Amen.